This is Daniel Figella with Emerge Artificial Intelligence Research, and you're listening to the AI and Business Podcast. Over the years, if you've been a loyal listener with us, you've heard many use case and trend explorations for the future of AI and banking, future of AI and insurance and wealth management. We covered how compliance workflows are changing, how customer service is changing, how fraud and anti-money laundering are changing. Today, we're talking about reporting. Our guest this week is Emmanuel Wauconnier, who is the CEO at EasyOp. EasyOp is based in Paris, and they focus on natural language generation. They've been at it for a while. We actually had another member of their team on, I think it was some four long years ago, something crazy like that. And our focus in this episode is getting into detail as to the specific workflows where automating reporting really delivers value. We talk about two in particular one of which is credit risk, understanding and assessing credit risk. What does that process look like today? What kind of data and insights are required and where does AI fit into the mix? And then we also look at improving report quality for folks who are controllers or analysts. We've talked from the perspective of compliance leaders, but never really from the perspective of controllers. So a little bit of uniqueness here in some of the use cases that we're covering, and I appreciate Emmanuel's detail in exploring how the use cases work and and also how the underpinning data infrastructure comes together to actually allow a natural language-generated report to come to be. There's a lot of detail in this episode, and I'm excited to get started. This episode is sponsored by EasyOp. If you're interested in reaching Emerge's audience, you can go to emerj.com slash ad1. That's ad like ad, and then the number one, emerj.com slash ad1, and learn more about our creative services, what it is that we offer in terms of content and reach, and also how brands work with Emerge. If you want to learn more about that process, emerj.com slash ad1. Without further ado, this is Emmanuel, the CEO at EasyOp, here on the AI and Business Podcast. So, Emmanuel, I know we're going to be focused on some unique use cases in the financial services space in terms of where AI is starting to find its fit and add value. I want to talk first about the business units that you folks tend to work most closely with, which, again, are somewhat unique. We cover a lot of different areas of banking, but you you guys hang out around the risk and compliance world as well as the finance and controlling world. I imagine COVID has changed a lot of things for these folks. The banking ecosystem and insurance ecosystem are undergoing a lot of change. What do you see as some of those big kind of structural shifts that are changing and imposing new demands on, on those business units? Well, thanks. Uh, well, it's a, it's a great question. So we have been working at Easy Up, you know, with, uh, I would say, 25 now tier one large financial institutions, both in, in Europe and the U.S. And it's true that... Um, these guys have been always intrigued by AI, you know, how AI could help us and so on. So, you know, we've been doing this project. There are, you know, a lot of them are in production and, you know, pretty happy. Now with COVID and, you know, with the pandemic, you know, things did accelerate. I think these guys are under massive pressure. You know, they have given, you know, uh, unprecedented amount of loan to help the economy in a dramatic way. I mean, they have... uh, you know, they have to be super agile. You know, the uncertainty is pretty high. So, you know, they clearly, you know, I have a lot of customers asking me, okay, how can you, you know, how AI could help me? You know, I've got my team. How can I do more with the team I have? And, you know, could we be way more efficient and agile? Gartner did a prediction that 25%, you know, of any companies will adopt some form of 
you know, language AI NLG, you know, natural language generation by 2022, we plan to double our install base this year. So, you know, I see the acceleration to be actually way, way, way bigger. Yeah. Well, two things. I, I think some of the benefit of these kinds of applications, and we're going to get into use cases in a moment, is that there are some sorts of AI applications that require, I think, a lot more data infrastructure overhauling than some of the NLG stuff where we can kind of take what exists and we can actually just make it more simple. It's it's a little bit more of a, a surface and accessible application of AI versus take the jackhammer to the data infra and overhaul what we're doing. And by the way, there's a place for that. I think banks are going to have to evolve in a bigger way than surface, but some of the accessible stuff right away, I think really has some great opportunities. For you, these increased demands, is it just due to how much has changed about what they're reporting on? Is it due to how many loans they have now out in the world and how much risk they have to manage? What are the things that COVID has brought onto them that's made them forced to be more agile? Of course, being forced to work digitally, I think, is probably part of it. But what do you see as those big forces? Pressure from, well, you know, these guys have pressure from absolutely everywhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah poor, poor regulation people. Oh, man. I've got internal customers. Yep. You know, and the internal customers say, you know, you need to help us to really get more data, much more precise, more timely, and so on. They've got bosses who wants as well, you know, what's the risk? I'm going to have any surprise this month. Is this going to be, you know, a, a big change? You know, what I'm going to tell my shareholders? You have got the compliance, you know, the governments, you know, compliance is uh, is super heavy. It's not going to be lighter in the coming, you know, in the coming and the same times, you know, these guys are, you know, I'm talking about finance, but even risk, uh, you know, organization, you know, they would love to become, you know, way more business driven organizations. Of course, they can, you know, have the right data and, you know, and, you know, get the things straight. And I think they are very good at that. But how to transform these, you know, huge data they have on hand, how to use that to make, you know, a better business? And how to, you know, help their BUs, I mean, their internal customers to actually drive their business in a more efficient way. You know, this is, you know, super mega trends, I would say. So lo lots of pressures from all directions. It, it sounds like I, uh, yeah. I'm a little bit glad I'm not in that business. But obviously, it's a very important facet of uh, the financial services world is make sure our reporting is working and we get the insights we need to move and, and make smarter decisions. So we can talk about some of those decisions. I know one category that I know we wanted to dive into here was looking at sort of risk reporting specifically around kind of credit risk. Tons to think about, you know, so many more loans out there in the world. Walk us through a little bit of kind of what the business workflow is and where AI is starting to find its fit into that particular workflow. Yeah, that's, um, well, it's a use case, which is, you know, getting more and more popular. So just before I start, what we do in a nutshell, we do transform based on the algorithm and the AI, we do transform data into a narrative that anybody can understand. So we're doing this type of alchemy, you know, trying to transform data in, in narratives. So the credit, you know, uh, credit risk departments for retail, corporates, financial institutions, you know, these are huge departments within the banks, of course. And they have every year, every time you do, you have to grant a new loan. And then afterwards, every year, they have to reassess the risk based on the financial data, financial statements of their customer, based on the cash flow, based on you know, all type of financial information. They have to do reassessment and so that they can you know, do some the right provisions and so on. So where we jump in? We say, guys, you know, we can help you 
to actually do 60 to 70% of these reports automatically. We will produce a draft for the analyst so that all the sections which are data-driven will be actually drafted by the machine. And the analyst can actually dialogue with you know, the machine, say, okay, guys, you know, uh, thank you for these uh, highlights and you know, this paragraph. Now, I would love more detail. So he has got slider you know, and there's an interface and he can say, okay, I want things so automatically the machine will give more detail. I want less detail and, and yeah, so on. Yeah, yeah. It's important the analyst you know, dialogue with the machine and makes the report the way he wants the report to look like. Super efficient. You know, we have been uh, deployed that at three, four banks now. Uh, they are, you know, one of the banks, you know, they told us, well, we cut the, the amount of time to do this report by half. So it's a 50% efficiency gain, which is, you know, pretty nice. Super high volume. You know, the, uh, you know typically you have got 1,000, 2,000, even 5,000 analysts involved. You know, and you have to do, uh, you know, uh, corporate banking, you can do, uh, you know, small and business size, you know, business, you can do, you know, so it's, you know, it's super why And again, the volume are super high. So the ROI on this type of uh, solution are, you know, in millions of dollars per year. And so I want to talk a little bit, we'll go a little bit more into the nitty gritty of the report and the use case itself in just a second. But I want to kind of pull up to the, the business value side of things. Obviously, you folks have experience deploying these so I think there's lessons learned here. You know, you mentioned saving, you know, 50% on what it takes to do this report. I think maybe not everybody listening in will understand how much has to go into pulling these reports together. Maybe if we could, if you wouldn't mind painting a bit of a picture of, okay, you know, I need a certain kind of report on my small business loans and the state of the risk profile of my small business loans at kind of a high level. What kind of data has to get pulled in? How how did that process used to work before AI? Because I think people might not realize how much goes into this. And so that context would be helpful. You know, it is uh, most of the time pretty tedious tasks. I can imagine. So you have to yeah. find the, you know, updated financial information, you know, the balance sheet, the PL, the cash flow. You have to compare, you know, this year versus last year, what has changed. So it's uh, it's super tedious. You know, it takes, you know, two, three hours to do that, you know, more if it is, you know, of course, you know, the bigger the company is, the yeah, more you know, it is. And then the analyst, you know, and this is a data crunching, and this is really putting together, okay, what has changed, what is important, and so on. And this is a task that AI can actually do automatically in a clever way, in an intelligent way. You know, it's not just describing what has changed, trying to say, okay, this has changed because, you know, finding the underlying causes and sometimes highlighting, guys, you know, this is very strange. I mean, this move or this change is very unusual in the, uh, you know, in this type of cell. So, you know, whatever. Yep, yep. So what is key and what you understand is that the adoption by the end user is absolutely key. Oh, yeah, it has to be. Yeah, we have to, to understand that, you know, we take them with this type of solution out of that comfort zone. You know, we when we're producing a report which is tedious and certainly not the most important part of that job, they're used to do it. Yeah, and they're used to using what just Microsoft Excel and you know the the old bunch of tools they used to use, right? Well, and they do have a lot of tools and so on. They're used to that, so it's a bit of a change for sure. And yeah, both the analysis and the way you write has to be perfect. 
Yes. So that yes. They, you know, say, oh, my God, you know, I told you, you know, this AI doesn't work. You know, this sentence doesn't mean anything. So it's rubbish. And, you know, so it has to be really perfect. It's definitely part of the challenge for you guys, right? I mean, if I'm not mistaken, you have to design an interface where the feeding of the data and then the structure of the output on some level is is clean and that kind of people put things in in, in that clean and consistent way to get that clean and consistent output. And you've got to be able to also make that user-friendly. And that's not an easy job. I think that's one of the reasons a lot of AI companies have a hard time. Yeah, we spend a lot of time to uh, actually fine-tune that. But, I can you know, imagine, have, yeah. you know, a lot of feedback from, you know, from, from the customers. And Certainly. we got, you know, some rates. We asked the customer, okay, in the deployment phase, ask the, you know, the analyst to rate from 1 to 10, you know, are they happy, what yeah, they like? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that feedback is essential. That's essential. We can tune stuff. Another yeah. feature we introduce is to put some machine learning. You know, some analysts may you know, maybe very comfortable with their, some tone, you know, some would love to have some adjectives, some synonyms, some, you know, sentence structure. So basically we give them a few options, you know, would you like to prefer to write like this or like that? And with time, we learn the style of the analyst so that yeah. we can actually find something that, you know, really writes like Emmanuel or likes Dan or likes, you know, and, I, and it helps a lot in the adoption. Yeah, yeah. I can imagine, well, because if I, if I recall correctly, I think we interviewed you folks three or four years ago or something like that. There is a lot of not necessarily machine learning in getting some elements of NLG right, because you, you don't want statistically, we think this will work reporting. What you want is you want like a reliable output, which is a little bit more of an if, then, if, then, and structuring those things properly. It's a rule-based, yeah. It's a rule-based inference yep. engine. Yep. But then in the style, in the way you write, this is where you can use machine yeah, learning. Yeah. And we're using machine learning. And we choose machine learning. So it's, NL, it's, NLG is really getting better in that respect, right? I mean, just look at the last three years, you know? I mean, think about open AI. It's like, it's incredible the kinds of things that are now possible, even in open source versus just a few years ago. Okay. So that's the ML fits in, in sort of the, yeah, the, the style of the output in terms of how the user would like to have it designed. Okay. So this is one example. We're talking about risk here, and this is where we can take risk reports about credit risk. And are these often very bespoke, Emmanuel? In other words, I can imagine there's almost an unlimited number of things we'd want to do reporting on. Do you have, you know, are there are there almost out of the box, everybody has to do this kind of analysis in probably this kind of way, boom, baked into your product? Or is it more, hey, they're going to do an infinite number of different bespoke things based on what their internal and external stakeholders are needing, and we just need a platform that's more general? If there are some regular ones, I'd love to know what they are. But if it's all bespoke, that'd be interesting too. It's actually it's both. Okay. Know, this okay. risk report is clearly an out of the box. Example. Report automate yeah. in a matter of days. Now, every banks have their own rules, have their own risk rules, you know, and we have as well a no code studio so that non technician at the bank level can actually do the parameterization themselves. They can actually fine tune the rules, they can actually build the reports they want. And every bank's, you know, even though the same report, even, you know, every single bank's have their own. Way to do business, yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And the fact that we don't have to have a incredibly clever engineer to do all the, you know, yeah, that's that's so, it's important. You know, that's 
cool that the business guys say, okay, guys, this is, you know, a standard way to do that based on our experience and we have built and so on. Now we completely understand you may do things slightly differently and that the risk level you want to, you know, I mean, whatever you want. So all the parents, it's a three hour training and somebody can actually build his own report based on the model we have prepared in three hours. They can actually tune this model and have something they can really work on. Yeah, that's, man, that's one of the things you only get from experience working with customers, right? I mean, there's so many assumptions you'd have about what kind of reports would be needed in a bank and how could a non-technical person build it? It's like, I imagine you learned so many things your first couple of years in business, learning about how to make this non-technically accessible, right? That's a, that's a real, a really important element of building a product. Now, every single of our customers, once we build the first report, 100% of them say, okay, guys, this is cool. This is working great. You know, we have other ideas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and that's, that's where you want to get. You know, and this, uh, what people learn and expand, you know, they have, you know, other use cases in mind and progressively you are building, uh, you know, libraries of different reports that we can actually uh, you automate know, and read. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. Cool. 100%, you know, that's, that's a tough number to hold on to, but I, but I feel you. Yeah, I mean, the closer you can get to that, the better. And certainly being able to have non-technical people using an AI-oriented tool at all is not an achievement anybody should, should understate. So, so that's risk. Now, there's other spaces where you folks play as well. And I know that one of these is around improving quality of reporting for financial analysts and controllers. I think, again, the workflow for some of our listeners might be familiar if they work inside of that area of, you know, kind of the, the, the controller's business unit, if you will. But for some folks, it might not. So maybe you could walk us through what are these folks trying to report on? What insights are they looking for? And then what does the process look like for them when we bring AI into the picture? That's been a, an interesting project. And I've done many other projects, you know, for controller or FPN organization, many reports. I call them performance reports. Got it. So they've got all the data. One, one project we have done for a large, uh, a very large retail network in France, they say, guys, we would love to understand the performance of our branches. And they came up with 12 different KPIs. You know, what type of product, what type of channel are we using, which region, which branch, which specific retail network, and so on and so on. I mean, it's, uh, you know, I mean, it's, so I've got all these data. And what TCF does, it does provide them a very, I would say, synthetic analysis of, okay, what is the best branch? Where are the customer, you know, customer satisfaction being part of that? Where are the customer are satisfied? And they put some contest, you know, so they publish that on a weekly and monthly basis so that every branch, the branches are, are actually waiting for that. It's not just competition for the sake of competition. It's really explaining, guys, you are now number five in your region and yeah, number yeah, yeah, 25 yeah. on a national basis. This is your key strength. This is your key, you know, area of improvement. Uh, this is the highlights of the months. You know, so it's, you know, it's automated. It's absolutely, you know, we were talking about quality of the information. Yeah. You know, the same rules for everybody, not depends of an analyst we started. Or, yeah, you know, this person uses Microsoft Excel. This person does this other thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very well said. It explains why 
you know, and that's as well very important to explain, okay, this is a big rational why you were, you know, you're now number one in, you know, in customer satisfaction, and this is what made the changes specifically on this product and so on and so on. And I happened to interview some of the branch manager, and they saw that as a you know, very powerful team, uh, even to motivate their team, say, guys, you know, this is where we are. You know, and so that's pretty you know, very interesting. Quality of the information, timely information. You know, this is, you know, other banks, exactly the, same, exactly the same application. They made them to analyze their OPEX, their IT spendings, to be very specific. And so it's, you know, a bit less of a competition here. It's more to understand, okay, what are IT spendings? How does that compare to last year? How does that compare to budget? What is the forecast? And you, you can do that on sales, you know, BPC done that. BPC was one of the largest French banks did that on their production, you know, mortgage production. Say, so, okay, let's do this analysis. They had a team, you know, and they did um, one analysis for the whole group. This was before EasyUp. And these guys are super busy. And they say, okay, we can just do one analysis for the whole, you know, for the whole group. Weezy up. And they have got two major networks. They have got, you know, a lot of different, you know, departments and so on. They made 30 reports for the branches, for the retail, you know, 30 different reports, same team. And they plan to do hundreds of different reports. And the, the head of the, uh, you know, the, this team told me, you know, I want to be a business partner. I want to really bring to my internal customers detailed information, how their business work. Just to put some color on some of this stuff. When I think controller, I almost immediately, and this is probably because I'm not a controller, I immediately think finance. But you mentioned customer service. I'm interested, you know, we talk about looking at the performance of a whole bunch of different branches and being able to compare them and have healthy competition so that we can really drive business outcomes. I think anybody listening can understand you can only manage what you can measure. If you just have a bunch of spreadsheets, that might be measurement, but it's not making it clear. If you have really simple reporting that people can understand and it compares things properly, you can now really get everybody on the same page. So that makes sense. For what a controller cares about, you know, you mentioned mortgage production I would imagine, you know, the P&L and the balance sheet would be where, where they're focusing, but it sounds like there's a lot more elements in there. What are some of the things that controllers need to need to pulse and ensure quality? P&L and balance sheet is as well, uh, you know, a very hot topic. So I can imagine. Uh, yeah, no, no, that's that's very clear. I mean, that's time critical. Yeah, so, yeah, uh, really. The our rule of thumb is that any controller is spending 50% of his time, well, 50, when he works on a report, analysis of the report, he spends 50% of his time building the report and 50% of his time understanding and building action plan, discussing with you know, his internal stakeholders and so on. So what EasyUp does is that we just suppress the 50%, the first 50%, so this is automatically done in a few minutes. And it can just focus on the more qualitative work. I would essentially bet, let's say, my mother's life on the fact that it's not a few minutes for everybody in all cases. Like there, there's probably, there's got to be banks that are ripping in, you know, data source XYZ QRS. But of course, you want to make it as simple as you possibly can. Is this mostly from APIs piping this stuff in? Is it from having the right places for humans to just manually input things? What helps to bring that time down? No, I mean, um, 95% of the time, it is API. Okay. So, you, yeah, you're, you're, you're finding the way to pipe it in automatically. Okay. We get information. It can be from any different sources. Yeah. So, we've got connectors. 
can come from SAP, can come from your ERP, can come from Excel spreadsheet. Don't really care. Yeah. yeah and okay. again, in 15 different sources, we suck this information, store that in a, what we call a cube, which is a multi-dimensional way to you know present the data, yeah, and yeah. then we our stuff. Wow, and that's that's a real challenge what you're doing there because I think that I suppose we could call it the data engineering part of this problem, right? Where you folks are working in different languages. Obviously, you know, you're, you're French, you're English, you got whatever. You have different formats, you know, whether it's Excel or CSV or getting piped from this database or that database. And there's got to be a way where we take those through the right combs and the right filters to, you know, align the columns, pull in the right data. To be able to streamline that is really a non-trivial task, especially because there's probably some variance from bank to bank or even department to department. What are some things no, you've it's, learned it's there? A big, big challenge. One of our biggest challenges. It feels really significant to me, Emmanuel. That uh, feels like a very impressive thing. You know, what we do for these targeted use cases, now we've got a data, you know, we are we know what we are looking for, if you want. So we've got a, a targeted uh, data structure. So we know we want, you know, this, you know, we have what we call an ontology, pre-built ontology, where yes, we know yes, yes. what is the relationship of all these different KPIs and so on. Okay. But then what is left, I would say, is to do this quote-unquote data mapping and discussing with the customer. Okay, yeah, where is your, yeah, where yeah, is your, yeah. and then having a data mapping so that we can match their specific environments with the targeted, you know, uh, easy up way of looking at things yeah. and then it's magic. there's a ton of challenge there but i imagine you know you work with enough customers you build an ontology that's pretty complete and then you know customer number 20 a lot of the things you can just find the match right you could say oh well this lines up here and okay we've used excel before and you've kind of got something built where it can pipe in but i imagine building that system has been a real for, you know credit risk is something like 500 kpis now so it's pretty it's a lot it's pretty well, yeah, you know, pretty rich, I would say. Yeah, so, uh, yeah. yeah. Well, you know, I'm surprised that customers say, "Yo, you don't have that." Say, "All right, let's do an upgrade," and you know, but most of the time we're okay. So, yeah, you know, for this yeah. type, I would say, uh, high runners, we are one track. I think one of the things that's important for people to understand listening in is that you know, getting that data to make sense in a coherent way where we can start reporting on top of it is absolutely not. An easy, an easy part of the job, right? For you to be able to put together paragraphs of what's happening in all these different branches, that ontology and that structure in the back end is really what makes what makes the magic happen. And it sounds like for you to be able to pull in customer service or mortgage production, it's because there's an ontology that can support those different data sources. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And again, the customers can do his own, you know, yeah, his plug own, things in and yeah, and and and. And then change the, uh, you know, and that's the magic. You know, we produce the text automatically. Now we can say, okay, I want very verbose. You know, I want this in French, in English. I want these paragraphs to be way lighter. You know, I mean, that's, you know, yep. you know, this no code studio is super helpful so that they can, you know, it will become their report. Yep. yep. And we just provide a tool. And yeah. Then, you know. Like you said, cutting down on that first 50%, right? Bringing that stuff down so they can focus on understanding and conveying those insights. So final little question, we'll wrap up here, but I think I, I, I got to the meat of things. I think we really started to explain the some of the, the undergirding technologies that are allowing to make this happen, which I think is really instructive for the audience. The use case here, kind of quality improvement is the overall sort of name of the use case. It seems like the way quality improvement 
the way that you folks facilitate that is basically by having a unified way to look at the data. It feels like the ontology and the data matching is what makes quality happen because otherwise, this person's got a pie chart they built off of Google Sheets. This person's got a pie chart from 20-day-old data that was on their desktop. And it feels like that back end is what makes quality happen. Is that is that right? Or are there other elements to thinking about quality improvement that that we don't want to leave out here? Quality comes from quality of the analysis, as you say, based on the, the ontology and you know the algorithm in place. Quality comes from consistency. So yeah. uh, even though the language may be different, you know, but the, fundamentally we're very consistent in our analysis. Yeah. We can go to down to I think fifteen different levels. You know, doing some scroll down, impossible for human to do that. Yeah. So if there's yeah, yeah, yeah. you know fifteen downs, you know, fifteen levels downs, we can actually detect that. So it's a very fine analysis, even though you know the narrative may look super clean Simple, and so on. Yeah, whatnot. Yeah. It's always you know different analysis and so on. So you know, quality confirms real time analysis very consistent, auditable. So, you know, it's a lot of... Uh, elements that come together here. Yeah, elements, yeah absolutely. Yeah. But I like this general idea of cutting down on that first 50% and, and the importance of data engineering and even the place of machine learning in terms of the style, I think is all interesting for opening the eyes of the listeners for this, this use case. So Emmanuel, I know that that's all we had for time, but I'm glad you could join us all the way from Paris for this episode. And thanks so much for being able to be here on the show. Thank you, Dan. So that's all for this episode of the AI and Business Podcast. I hope you got some good ideas from this episode. I appreciate Emmanuel being able to join us and put some detail on where AI fits into reporting and also what makes it happen. Certainly a lot goes on in the background to make these reports come to life. And I want to appreciate you for listening all the way through to the end of this episode. If you're not already following us on social, please do. It's been a real pleasure to see more folks engaging with us on LinkedIn and Twitter. And as our audience for the podcast has grown, our social audiences has grown in kind. We're creating a lot more content this year, including some video kicking off in the coming months. And I look forward to making sure that you see all of that. So stay abreast of all the latest AI trends in business, our new best practices for ROI and AI adoption, and other great use case episodes like this one by following us on social. It's just at E-M-E-R-J on Twitter, very easy to find us, or at Emerge Artificial Intelligence Research on LinkedIn or on Facebook. If you want to get all of our latest material, whether it's infographics, articles, interviews, and more, stay plugged in on social. We appreciate you being here, and if you want to support the show, following us on social certainly helps. So that's all for this episode. I look forward to catching you in the next one here on the AI and Business Podcast. 